We're going to be picking, off, picking up where we left off in the story from Genesis 50, starting in Exodus 1 today. And this new series is called Operation Salvation. Why? Because the word salvation, the word where Jesus' name even comes from, uh, Yeshua or uh, that cognate in Hebrew, actually is first used in the Exodus story. We saw it in the Joseph story, but it's not actually used. That's an interpreter's move to put the word save in there. Uh, It's actually not even, it doesn't show up there. It shows up in Exodus. So we're going to be focusing on this idea of salvation, particularly as we lead up to Easter, right? Yes. So so we left off the story of Joseph, where Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and brought down into Egypt, then through false accusations was imprisoned, and then in that time was found to be able to interpret dreams by God's power. So he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh, and was exalted to a place where he kind of ran the ministry of famine preparation. Um, And in that time, stored up so much food, not only for Egypt, but for the rest of the world, that the rest of the world came to Egypt, including his own family. And his own family now are in Egypt, down in Egypt, as the Bible often talks about it. You remember, may remember what Joseph said to his brothers when they were afraid that he might take revenge upon them. He, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. These words are left hanging over our head as the story of Exodus begins. We, we shouldn't leave them behind too soon. It's, it's one of the early theological statements that's right there in the Bible for us to just take and ask, is that true? And so we're going to do something a little risky and fun. We're going to pass a microphone around. And while we do, friends who are worshiping online, we're actually going to stop the video and audio for what's in this room so people feel safe to be able to share and not have their words forever memorialized online. Uh, So so we're going to do that. We're going to be playing some music with a screen on there for you so you can see it. We'll be back. And just so you all know, that is happening. So this won't be on YouTube forever. That said, what we'd like to do is open up a time to share with this question. This is a very specific question, so don't alternate. Yeah, that's, that's for the folks online, so don't worry about that. It's particularly yeah. powerful for me to hear this. And we're good online. You can bring us back. We're all good? Okay. Hi, online folks. You're back. All is well. People just shared personal experiences about that question that we put out there. Um, and so I'm grateful that you got a chance to share some of that. What we may notice is that there's, there's a couple different ways to handle that question, Right? The one is just in a, in a philosophical sense, in a detached sense, the question, does God intend for good the intentions of some to harm others? It's kind of like a, it, it's a, in a vacuum, right? The question in a vacuum without any other things around it. And then to end on Sharon's, um, and even I think Betty's too, and some others too, as you were kind of thinking through this, it, the, the way to answer the question with experience and life. And often, I think the biggest thing for us is to really connect to the biblical story. So, for example, Joseph's story, we can't just in a, in a vacuum say, this is what God does. 
But we can say in that moment, and maybe for a bigger purpose, God was doing something in the story of Joseph to bring him down that path. I mean, you could go and just say, for the very fact that Jesus himself identified with that story, that's about as good enough that God did that in Joseph's life. And it became the very storyline that Jesus lived to descend and descend and descend so that God would exalt and exalt and exalt. So there are things like that when we connect to the story. And so, with Joseph's words and this piece kind of still above us and and what was shared, we have our passage for today from Exodus 1, verses 8 through 14. And yes, I'm reading it from here. I don't love that. I love having a Bible in front of me, but I don't have anything here to hold a Bible and all the pages would get kind of crazy. so. So from Exodus 1, we read, Then a new king... To whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave our country, leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them and forced labor with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their harsh labor. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Let's pray. God, this passage is a tough one for so many reasons. And I'm sure that many in this room have a lot of those swirling in their heads and hearts, as I do now. God, help us with wisdom and thoughtfulness and compassion and love. Reflect upon this And may your spirit place in our hearts the capacity to hear what you have to tell us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Beginning in the book of Exodus, the biblical story takes a pretty dark turn The rest of this biblical narrative as we move on will hinge upon this point, really. If not Abraham's call, then this new development will become a big place for the identity and story of this people. They find themselves in a foreign land under foreign rule with an oppressive king. Does God intend for good the intentions of some to harm others? Our passage today leaves us hanging. We had not given that answer. But what's happening here? The God who tells Abraham, I will bless you, seems to be standing idly by as this people suffer through enslavement and oppression by another people. How can this be? We're not told. What we do know is that this abhorrent and dreadful tale is one that has been replayed throughout the history of the world. The enslavement and oppression of others, 
is a reality of human existence. Reality not in a God-baptized or anyone else-approved way, but one that continues to happen over and over and over. If we take a passing glance at history, we see it through the empires of this world. It's also something that plays pretty loudly in the Bible. It's why I can't avoid it. We're talking about telling the story of the Bible. I can't just skip over Exodus. In the New Testament, actually alone, the, the, the word slave is used 126 times. That's a lot. If you're looking at word usage in the New Testament, that's pretty, pretty important. and something that you can take note of. This word and everything about it hurts. And not on the same wavelength. It hurts us all in different ways and sometimes ways that we don't even want to acknowledge. It hurts. I was watching a video by a rabbi who discussed the slavery of his people in Egypt. He asked, why? Why slavery? He couldn't answer that question, and he couldn't speak to the slavery of others in other places and other times. He could only venture for something for the story of his own people. He said, the Jewish people are reminded in Torah that the story of their enslavement is central to their identity and therefore informs how they should treat others. Whereas other cultures establish an identity for rules within their own group, right? And how you treat them and how you treat other people is just by domination. The Jewish identity is formed by how they treat folks inside and outside their group with justice and righteousness. The rabbi referred the listener to two passages. Allow me to read them from Leviticus 19. One is, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And from Deuteronomy chapter 24. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I commanded you to do this. Did you see what happened there? This isn't a reason why oppression happens. This isn't an answer, does God allow? That's not that. And if we, if we go there, we're, we're maybe missing the point of, of this. This is the formation of identity through a story. This is the formation of identity of a people whose very lives would testify to the kind of God they worshipped by how they treated the weakest and most vulnerable amongst them. It would show you what kind of God you worshipped. Pharaoh and his gods urge us to take control over that which we fear. The rest of this story, the Ten Commandments, you'll see uh, in a couple weeks, is all about God versus the gods of Egypt. 
Make no mistake. We'll, we'll, we'll discover that in a bit. But the God of Israel tells us something different than the gods of, of Egypt. The, God, the powers that Pharaoh sought were to grab, clutch, demonize, enslave, right? The power of our God gives, welcomes, and frees. There's a difference. And the story is informing us of this as almost as if it's an identity that we must take on as people of God. It has huge implications for our world, and and I don't know if that's where your mind is going. I, I would urge you not to go there yet because the very first place that anywhere that as Christians we go, and especially at Lent, is here. Not out there. Not yet. Here. Unless we own this story for ourselves, unless we say, bear with me here, this is a scandalous thing to say, but bear with me. Unless we say, remember, we were slaves in Egypt. Unless we say that, unless we allow that to shape our identity, we will continue to act like Pharaoh. No matter what God we say we worship. That goes for everyone. We will continue to let fear lead us to demonizing and and immobilizing and enslaving that which we fear, which will lead to oppression. Please don't get me wrong, and this is why I said bear with me. I am not saying claim the trauma of another people. We cannot claim the trauma that the Jewish people endured in that day or any other day. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying claim the identity. Claim the truth, the story. For example, in one of those 126 times Jesus mentions the word slave, not Jesus doesn't, but in the New Testament, but in the, one, uh, in the 126 times Jesus says once, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your, you can say it or not, slave. Sometimes we we soften it because that word is really harsh to us in the English language. So we say servant. And you could say that, but really, no, be your slave. And whoever wants To be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Don't be thinking out there. Start here. I want to go out there. I want to do it all the time. Start here. Because this is identity formation. And it is good news. This is very good news. It doesn't sound like it. It is very, very good news. This isn't Jesus telling us to serve powerful people and then we get what we want. No, that's what someone would do who is not formed by this story. That's Pharaoh's way or the way of Egypt. Don't read that into Jesus' words. This is Jesus asking us, what if we became a servant to servants? What if we allowed ourselves to be 
lowered beyond all measure. What if we became servant to the stranger, the foreigner, the immigrant, the outsider? Don't go political right now. You can. You will eventually. Don't go there right now. Allow yourself to think, who are these people? Who are these people God has put in your life? What if we worked to radically give up power instead of seeking it? So in closing, I wonder, does God intend for harm or for good the intentions of some to harm others? For anyone who claims a part in God's story, in some way it might be true. Because this story in Exodus, this abysmal tale of human evil can indeed become part of our identity of how we treat others. Just like the Torah leads us. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. The powers of the world grab, clutch, demonize, deflect, defend, and enslave. But in God's story, there is redemption, good news, through giving, welcoming, and freeing. Let's pray.